the Full Capacity Living Podcast. I'm your host, Karen Bush. Have you ever been curious about the philosophy of the ancient practice of Ayurveda? Brought into mainstream by the likes of Deepak Chopra and many others in the U.S., the traditional Hindu system of medicine, which is based on the idea of balance in bodily systems and uses diet, herbal treatment, and yogic breathing. Hmm. Seems I've heard the systemic approach to healing in a more modern context, like functional medicine. As we learn, nothing is really new as the tradition of Ayurveda has been connecting gut health to many illnesses for thousands of years, which is fascinating. Understanding ancient cultures and going back to the discoveries that have been around for thousands of years and coupling that with the science of today brings us closer to true healing. My guest today is Nikki Estrada, yogi and Ayurvedic practitioner out of Marin County, California. Nikki has more than 20 years of teaching experience and has been leading 200 and 300 hour teacher trainings for more than 12 years. She was director of trainer development for Yoga Works for more than seven years, where she supported and mentored teacher trainers. She leads intensives, immersions, and workshop series in the San Francisco Bay Area and beyond. And lucky for my listeners, she's all online now. She contributes to Yoga International, where you can find her articles and videos. She is a contributor of video content on yogaanytime.com. Nikki was a 2016 Athleta Ambassador for Embodying the Power of She. She was sponsored by Zoba, a women's athletic apparel company, and has presented at yoga journal conferences. She was voted best yoga teacher by Marin Magazine in 2016, too. Lots of nice accomplishments for Nikki. Today's podcast will help you understand the ancient principles of Ayurveda that can be implemented in your own life. We talk about the history of Ayurveda and yoga. We dig into the doshas finding your own natural constitution and how to balance that with nature in our ever-changing world. We talk about gut health, joint pain, and their connections to our bodies being out of balance and how to correct that balance. You will come away with practical ideas on how to figure out your own dosha and ideas to balance that dosha. As always, thank you for listening and being part of my podcast journey. All ratings and reviews are gladly accepted on the Apple Podcast app, and sharing is always appreciated. I do have to say, we had a few issues with our audio in the middle of this that were hard to edit, but it's pretty minor and doesn't interrupt the flow. So now on to our conversation. Thanks for being here. Great. Welcome, Nikki. I appreciate you coming on to the Full Capacity Living podcast. And tell me a little bit about um, your journey into yoga and Ayurveda and how that really connected with you and, and, you know, your story. Yes. Well, I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I discovered yoga at a really young age um, before it was kind of mainstream popular. I was 20, I was a college student and um, I stumbled into a yoga studio that was newly opened and just literally fell in love. Um, 
I, I had no idea what it was. I had no idea really what I was doing. No one explained anything about it at all, but it was very physically challenging. And I was surprised at how um, hard it was when you're really just on a tiny little space of your mat. You know, I had been used to running or aerobics. Aerobics was big back then, right? <laughs> um, so how could I be sweating so hard? And how could this be so challenging when I'm really just kind of on this little space, not really jumping around a lot, but challenged? Mm-hmm. Um, and more than that it is I felt it tapped into something. I couldn't even articulate it. But by the end of each class, I was just really calm and really connected and felt something deeper within me was brewing. Mm. And I I never stopped. So that was, you know, at the age of 20. And I ended up going to India when I graduated college because I wanted to travel and I was having such an amazing time practicing yoga. And it just kept going and going. And then, you know, about four years later, I was pulled into teaching, never thought I would teach, but I was asked if I was interested in taking the the yoga training at the studio where I went Mm -hmm. and just, just never stopped. I, for the first time in my whole life, I'd always liked school and did well in school, but in yoga teacher training, like I couldn't get enough. I was bring on the homework, bring on the extra hours. I just loved it. Oh, wow. Yeah. You were definitely destined for, for yoga and the practices, the spiritual practice, it sounds like that really connected for you, which, you know, back then, and I too, um, I think we're somewhat around the same age. Um, my introduction to yoga was I took it as an elective when I was in college, when they, they wanted you to take physical activity electives. And I thought, well, I already run. I already do some other stuff. Let me try this yoga and see what that's all about. And yeah. and I agree. It's it's really it's an amazing practice. And back then it was very different than it is now. Tell me about your 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 trip to India and was that around yoga? So obviously you didn't do any yoga teacher training there. That probably wasn't even available at the time. Yeah. Who knows? But but what was the connection with India? So I you know I literally was finishing up school and knew that I wanted to travel. And I asked one of my yoga teachers, you know, what do you think? And, and she said, well, there's basically two ways you can go right now to India and do yoga. And it's either Iyengar or Ashtanga. Mm-hmm. And Iyengar has like a two year waiting list. So that's not really an option. And while I liked the flow style that, that I had been practicing, I wasn't really an Ashtanga practitioner, which is a whole other mm-hmm. level of intensity. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I was 22 by that time and you can pretty much do everything you want at 22. <laughs> um, and so I said, fine, you know, I'll in India is cheap, way cheaper to travel around India than Europe. And I said, fine, I'll, I'll just go to India and check it out. So I literally, again, this is like email was just starting like maybe email, but most people didn't email, you know? So I literally wrote the Tabi Joyce, who was the head teacher of Ashtanga yoga, I wrote him a letter and said, I'm coming. And, you know, wow. you just land on the doorstep literally. And, um, and he lets you in and you, I think it was like a hundred dollars a month or something to practice six days a week there. And my plan was to be there one month because you had to make a one month commitment one month and then travel around. But I just was having such an amazing time and connecting with all the other Western 
people, Western yogis that were there practicing with him that I ended up staying until my money ran out. So I was there for like three months. Oh, wow. And yeah, yeah, that was really no intentions of teaching at that point at all. Just loving it. And um, yeah, found my passion. So the Ashtanga practice became your practice then, and that's what you taught? Well, it did for a short period. It's not what I taught. Um, And this will be interesting too, as it relates to Ayurveda. I couldn't really sustain that practice. So Mm -hmm. I didn't know why then, but I just knew it was too depleting for me. So for anybody that doesn't know what I'm talking about when I say Ashtanga, it's a, it's a series. There's, I think, six or eight series in the whole process. First series takes about two hours from beginning to end. And it was originally designed for young Indian boys to kind of burn out their energy, to kind of stave them off from (laughs) focusing all that intensity in the wrong places, all that energy in the wrong places. So it's this really kind of intense, demanding, um, fast paced series. And while I loved it and I could get away with it to some degree because I was young and energetic, it was pretty depleting for me. And I never felt that I could really stick with it six days a week, you know, three or four weeks a month. It it was too much. So I came home and I, I stuck with it for a while, but I went back to what I really loved which was a combination, a flow style. So I had the physical challenge of a flow style, but with alignment and a little slowed down compared to the pace of Ashtanga. Mm-hmm. So I found my my original teacher who had been in Santa Barbara where I was studying when I was in college. She had moved to Marin, which was where I had grown up. So I just landed back in my hometown and picked up classes with her. So I taught more in that when I began teaching in that realm of flow, but with alignment. Great. That's a great explanation of Ashtanga. I had not, I didn't really realize that that was, I went through yoga teacher training, but a little bit different at the Cleveland Clinic School of Yoga, um, Mm -hmm. which is a little more heart centered. It's definitely, we talk about all the other types of yoga, but I hadn't realized that Ashtanga was what that was created for <laughs> it almost sounds like um, that's a perfect thing for young boys, right? Yeah. You know, it was really kind of to use up their energy, I think, so that it was not going towards, you know, non like towards sexual things or mischievous things, you know, more, I think, culturally of, you know, higher caste Indian boys, you know, kind of keeping their them on track. Mm. Um, yeah. And, and so if you ever have a chance to see what it looks like, it's very acrobatic. Oh, right, right. Yes, like, I'm, I definitely know what Ashtanga is, and it's not something that um, I was ever really able to to kind of sustain myself either. So yeah. I like the connection, though, that you're talking about. So let's dive into Ayurveda, our topic, really, um, and understanding that. Did you learn a little bit about the Ayurveda practice when you were in India? No, not no, at all. none of it was. It was literally all physical. There was no lecture. There was no discussion or teachings on the energetics or the deeper spiritual practices of yoga. I would get that later in teacher trainings and other studies, you know, as I went along. So there, I, there was no exposure to that. 
I did teacher training in obviously here in America and with Eric Schiffman, who I don't know if you know who he is. He was trained in the Iyengar method, but also a student of Krishnamurti, who was a, um, a jhana yogi, a, an intellectual yogi in the UK. And Eric had this amazing um, blend of the alignment from Ashtanga, but like the passion and the interest to to the spiritual piece of it and the ener energy piece of yoga. Mm. And so that was really, that's who I first teacher trained with and went on to do other trainings. Um, but I wouldn't get into the Ayurveda until many, many years into my own practice and into my teaching. Mm -hmm. And what drew you into Ayurveda and then kind of connect a little bit about, as you mentioned, you alluded to the fact that um, you didn't realize until Ayurveda came into your life, why you weren't able to sustain the Ashtanga yoga. That's a really yeah. interesting point, I think. Yes. So I was, gosh, I have to think about it. I was probably, I was probably like 15 years into teaching, 15, 14 years into teaching almost 20 years into my own practice when I truly came into the study and application of Ayurveda. I had heard about it. I had grown up with a really progressive um, parent. I had Deepak Chopra books all around and <laughs> Marianne Williamson, Williamson books around. And I had heard of Ayurveda, um, but I didn't really integrate it or, or practice it until that time, again, almost 20 years into my own practice. And it came about because I was really, I had hit physical, mental, emotional rock bottom. Mm. I had had, I was teaching a lot, like running around, teacher training after teacher training, lots of public classes. I had just had my second child. So a busy mom of two. My second child was not a great sleeper. Mm. So I was like, a year into sleep deprivation, oh, um, had lost my mom to cancer. It just was like every major, really, really challenging life event had happened to me. We lost our home in the, the um, crash, you know, the, the financial crash of 2008. Mm -hmm. I mean, just a really rough time. And I was so incredibly depleted. I had gone to um, a talk by one of my yoga teachers who was talking about Ayurveda and the three vital essences. And in listening to his talk, I, I thought, oh my God, I have, I'm so depleted. My ojas, which is your like foundational immunity, like vital reserves mm -hmm. is gone. <laughs> it's totally gone. I'm a mess. Yeah. And I just thought I've got to go see an Ayurvedic doctor. I need support. Yeah. So that's what got me there. And do you think it was like the, the start of that was just the intensity that you put into your yoga practice and teaching and teacher training, even before you were married and had kids? And if you kind of step back a little bit, because in functional medicine, what we do is we create a timeline. And so we can kind of see how you might have gotten to where you were at that point. What do you think were the precipitating factors? Yes, I think it started probably, probably before. It started before I got married and had kids. But tying the Ayurveda in, one of the main principles of Ayurveda is that like 
attracts like, mm. and opposites create balance. So here I was, not knowing it, but a vata constitution, vata pitta, and I'll explain that more as we right. go along. And so what is vata? Vata is movement. Vata is air and space. Vata is um, the person that likes all the balls in the air and has a lot of energy and a lot of creativity and likes to say yes and gets excited about everything, mm -hmm. but then gets ungrounded and depleted. They have a real strong tendency towards depletion. And, you know, all the opposite things of, of air and space that would balance them out are not in their nature. Mm -hmm. So because like attracts like, I just kept going towards all of those things that were driving me into depletion. Right. Yes to more teacher trainings. Yes to more classes. Put another thing on my plate. I can't say no. Yes to volunteering at my kid's school. Yes to trying to do all the drop-offs and pickups. Just overdoing all the things of my nature. So understanding like that you were Vata and you were just piling on all these things because that's your true nature. And then also knowing that like attracts like and then opposites balance. You know, how did that work into you paying attention to that a little bit more? So I was totally unaware of it, right? And and there was the life events that were adding to my depletion. And then there was my choices that was adding, you know, accumulating the, the depletion. So when I began working with an Ayurvedic doctor, um, it was slow and it was gradual, but she began to support me in making changes that nourished me. Mm -hmm. and, and people, I, I think often, there's this idea that Ayurveda is just about your diet. And yes, that's a piece of it, but it's, it's a whole life approach. So, I mean, one of the first things she asked me was like, you know, where, where in your day is the self-care scheduled in? I was like, um, nowhere, <laughs> nowhere. And so then she would ask me things like, you know, if you, if you could like really do as much yoga as you want to do, like how many days a week would you be getting on your yoga mat? And I was like, you know, like four or five times. And she was like, okay, you're going to go to a yoga studio and get your practice in. Cause I was squeezing it in around naps and at home and wherever I could and being interrupted by kids. Mm -hmm. And so it was literally hard for me to do that at first, but right. I would schedule in that I would stay at the studio after I taught and I would take a class oh. four or five days a week. So she began to guide me in all these various ways, how I set my schedule up, how I took care of my own self, how I ate, the choices I was making, my annual schedule, not even just a weekly schedule, but an annual schedule to flow in a way that would be supportive of me. Oh, and within about six months, I literally felt like a different person. Oh, that's amazing. That That's really amazing. And, you know, the way you're talking about that, it's 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 this it's similar to the principles of functional medicine. Right. I think all of these things that we think are, are new are actually grounded in very ancient practices. Yep. Yep. I mean, this is the, the stuff that we're talking about, like what 
paying attention to your body, having that awareness, what does my body need? How does my body feel better with certain things? Maybe meat is not so good for me. I'm somebody who needs something that's lighter and yes. You know, and and that is that that's the ancient practice of Ayurveda. I mean, tell yes. me what you know about the history of what created Ayurveda and we'll kind of move on to your story as well. Well, there's debate about the timeline, um, how far back it goes, but probably 5,000 years. I mean, mm -hmm. pretty long time and originating in the Vedic society, which is, was a, a very sophisticated, um, highly developed um, egalitarian society um, in India. Mm -hmm. And um, Ayurveda actually was like a prerequisite, interestingly enough, for yoga. Like Ooh. before you embark on these practices of, you know, developing your capacities and um, walking a, a spiritual path, the idea is that you would first practice Ayurveda. Why? Because Ayurveda is the science of life. And if you're healthy and balanced and feeling good in your being, you're able to then pursue these deeper practices. Oh, right. And so there's the connection between your Ashtanga and not being able to sustain it because you hadn't done the Ayurvedic principles and the, the science of and life. That, that kind of a practice is not great for me. That mm -hmm. kind of a practice, which I intuitively knew, couldn't put words to it, but I knew, Right. was too depleting for me. Mm -hmm. It was too depleting, which is why I never felt like even at 25 that I could maintain a six day a week, two hour a day practice. Oh, that's, you know, it just wasn't, that. yeah, it wasn't meant for my body. Right. I'll tell you too, the interesting thing about what you were saying with these ancient practices, you know, informing and being parallel with functional medicine. I can remember in one of those early sessions with my doctor when I was kind of telling her about my life I remember her saying and, and remember I was also sleep deprived from my second one not sleeping well mm -hmm. she asked me does your body hurt like does your are your is your body hurting at night and I thought she was a magician and I how did you know that like how did you know that I literally feel like pain in my body at night I now understand that that's a sign of extreme vata depletion, mm -hmm. that when you've depleted so much, your joints and muscles and connective tissue get achy. Uh, yeah. I just thought she was like, you know, psychic or something, but you know, <laughs> that's one of the actual symptoms of being too depleted. And that's, that's something I see with people all the time, you know, joint pain, body pain, and there's a certain level of tolerance, particularly with women, um, not to leave men out of it, but particularly with women that we just tolerate this level of uncomfortable feeling in our body because we think that's just normal, especially as we get older. We think oh, this is just what's supposed to happen because often, you know, someone is out there saying, yeah, as you get older, you're just gonna have pains in your body and you just, yeah. you just live with it, but that's yeah. not, it's not okay and it's not the way it needs to be. I couldn't agree more, especially perimenopause into menopause. We have all this stuff in our culture that's saying it's normal to have extreme symptoms and so much emotional difficulty and physical pain, and it doesn't have to be that way. 
No, it doesn't. So let's let's talk a little bit about those um, the different doshas, the vata, yes. kapha, and pitta. Yes. So Ayurveda, the science of life, takes the five elements and categorizes them into three doshas. The five elements are earth, water, fire, air, and space. And these are like the building blocks of all of nature, including us. It governs everything. And Ayurveda has it literally mapped out across the day, across the seasons, across our lifetimes, how the different elements come into play. So the three doshas are vata, pitta, and kapha. And vata is a combination of the elements of air and space. So to understand vata dosha, just think about the qualities of air and space light, dry, cold, changeable, volatile, rough. Those are all characteristics. Think of wind, you know, when the wind picks up, it's dry, it's rough, it's often cold, mm -hmm. it's moving through space. Pitta is a combination of fire and water, mostly fire, predominantly fire, but some water. And so think about the qualities of fire, hot, spreading, sharp, intense, transformative. That describes pitta dosha. Kapha dosha is a combination of the elements of earth and water, heavy, solid, and fluid, cold, unctuous, moist, weighted, Mm -hmm. thick. Those are all the qualities of kapha dosha. And so every human being has all five elements within us, therefore all three doshas. But most of us are, many of us are a combo of one or two, but kind of are predominant with one. Mm -hmm. And these are mind-body constitutions. So not just our physical self, but also our mental tendencies as well. Yeah. So if you use me as the example, my dosha is vata pitta. They're pretty neck and neck. I, I have quite a bit of pitta, but I'm a little more dominant in the vata house. And I tend to go out of balance more in the vata. I have very little kapha. I don't, I don't have a lot of that earth and water quality naturally. Mm -hmm. So if here I am more lighter and more airy and more spacey, and already prone to depletion and being more physically dry and um, already drawn to a lot of movement, then if I do a yoga practice that's very intensive and very movement oriented and kind of pushing a lot, you know, it, it drives more of that quality of air and space into my being, which is why it wasn't something that I could sustain. What I need are more, because opposites create balance, what I need more in my life are the qualities of earth and water. I need more grounding. I need more stability. I need to slow down a little bit. I need to stay warm. I need to nourish with oil because of the dryness. I want smooth as opposed to the roughness of Vakadosha. So it's interesting though, that 
we are drawn to things that are like us, but they are not the things that we ultimately need to balance ourselves out. How does the Ayurvedic philosophy talk about that? Is there is there some some reason that they talk about why we're drawn to those things? That's, I mean, that's just the challenge. Dosha, I mean, we translate dosha as constitution. So you say, my constitution is vata pitta. But the deeper translation of dosha is actually that which tends to go out of balance. Oh. Okay. So it's 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 the conundrum, you know, it's it's like something in motion, you know, what's what's that um that that uh law yeah. of something in motion stays in motion. Yeah. Right? It's just like attracts like. So it's an inherent tendency that we're drawn to that which is like us. But what balances us is that which is opposite of us. So it becomes this dance, this because everything, this is yoga and Ayurveda, everything in the universe, except for soul or spirit, is constantly changing. Mm -hmm. Everything is, and that includes our minds, our minds move and our minds change. So everything in the universe is constantly changing. And our job is to understand and see that and apply the opposites to help us find balance. So it's a dance. So you know how everybody always struggles with finding balance. Everybody struggles with being in balance. It's because it's, it's a universal challenge. Yeah. Universal. Definitely. And I think that there are some times that we can be out of balance for a short bit of time, but we need to have that awareness around, okay, I got to bring myself back in. And how do I do that before I've teetered all the way to the edge and it's going to be harder for me to get back, right? Yes. And that's understanding your signs, the signs in your mind and the signs in your body. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was so, so depleted and so out of balance that I couldn't even read those things. I was just, the imbalance was driving me. But once you get a taste of how to apply the opposites and you come into harmony, then you know your red flags and then you know your warning signs that, oh, that's an indication that something is off. And what are my tools? How do I apply them to come back? Absolutely. I just had a conversation about this, not not in an Ayurvedic sense, but with a, a patient that I'm working with right now where you know she realizes she's stressed when her stomach starts to clench and she feels sick and so we're i'm saying well let's just work that back a little bit what came before that what came before that what came before that so you don't get yourself to that point where it's so intense you can pick up the signals a little sooner and so you know it's amazing how all these things are, are so connected and we talk about it with different language but this is ancient ancient practice that you know, ancient, very, very intelligent societies figured out a long time ago. Yes. Um, how how does one person figure out what dosha they are or what combinations of doshas they are? Well, there's a lot of really good online uh, little quizzes that you can do, fill out, that will give you a good idea. Ultimately, it's it's really optimal to go and see a doctor, an Ayurvedic doctor, and really have them take a full history. Because the challenge is your current imbalances may skew a little bit, you finding your original constitution. 
And that's okay because your current imbalances then indicate what you need to balance out. Um, but you'll get close with those online quizzes. But when you go see an Ayurvedic doctor, you know, they take your pulse, they look at your tongue, they look at your eyes, they talk about your digestion, they want to know what your current life is like. And then the big thing is they want to take a whole history. They want to know like what, what's been going on in who you are up until this point. And the closest snapshot of understanding your, your constitution is to probably think back to how you were naturally when you were a kid. Oh yeah. So before culture put a lot of heavy stuff on you, <laughs> before you had too many negative experiences that you took on, um, you know, be, before you lived a life of maybe excess of something or depletion of something else, mm-hmm. how were you when you were younger, when, when you didn't kind of have anything weighing on you? How were you? That's probably the best indicator of your natural constitution. That's such a great <laughs> question. And, and I often will ask um, some of my clients who are stuck with finding joy or doing something that is fun for them or you know, kind of getting out of where they are right now. Um, and I have one client in particular that I'm thinking of, and she said, I had an idyllic childhood. I, you know, I, my parents were great. We ran around outside all the time, so much fun. I was never stressed. I never had trouble sleeping, you know, all the good stuff in life. Um, and she was always happy, always outside. And then, you know, she had this very intense job and she really got hooked into that. And she's got a lot of physical problems now because of it. Mm. And what you're saying right now makes me realize, wow, she definitely was moving away from her natural dosha. And she was excited about something because she was always active before. But she got into something that really tipped those balance, um, that balance off. Yeah. And unfortunately, there's so much in our culture that tells us we need to have this kind of a job or we need to achieve these things to feel worthy and we need to fit the mold of what our neighbors are doing and you know what our peers are doing and there's not enough support to really find who we are and what we need to thrive if especially if it doesn't fit you know the standard recipe yeah definitely our society is really about pushing people more and expecting more and saying that you can you can have it all when really i don't know that that's really the case like you've you've really got to think about how that balance fits in your life and it's 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 hard sometimes to go against what society or maybe even your family and friends are are doing 100% 100% yeah so when people take you know if they go to a a, a physician a, a i should say an ayurvedic doctor um that's trained in, in Ayurveda, where, how do they get their training? How does a a doctor of Ayurveda um, get their training typically? Good question. There's a few um, places in the States where you can go and get trained to be a doctor. And there's, there's gradual graduated levels um, from someone like me that is a yoga teacher that just wants to incorporate Ayurveda into one-on-one work and into, um, you know, offerings courses and things to like really a doctor who um, deals with disease and works one-on-one with clients that have serious conditions. Um, so there's there's a multitude of stages of that. 
Um, and it just depends on the institute. You can also go to India and do that kind of training. Um, you know, each one is going to be different. And I don't know how, how much it's governed by um, the state where the institute is in. You know, there's all different rules for that. But there's varying degrees of study in Ayurveda. Okay. Yeah. So, so when, when you talk to me a little bit about, um, you had mentioned that, that the doctor that you worked with had you plan out your days, but then also had you plan out your year. And that sounds super interesting to me. So, so tell me how that, how did that fit in with what you were doing and what were the, the ideas around, you know, what you needed to do for an entire year? Yeah, so basically, Ayurveda is asking us to sync up with the rhythms of nature. We are nature, nature is a part of us. We're the microcosm of the macrocosm, right? So in modern life, we have largely, probably in the last 100 years, 50 years, we have really moved away, probably 50 years, moved away from syncing up with nature, especially with the technology and lights. We can be up late at night, working crazy long hours, um, not really going to bed or syncing with the seasons and the light. We can sort of ignore all of that. And so the, the doshas, as I was describing earlier, they govern the time of day, they govern the time of year, and they govern our lifetime, like time of life. Oh, wow. So the more we sync our activities to those doshas, even within a 24 hour period or an annual period, the more we thrive with nature. So just to give you a snapshot in a 24 hour period from six in the morning until 10 in the morning, the elements of earth and water, kapha dosha, are more dominant in nature. And then from 10 in the morning till two in the afternoon, the elements of fire and water, pitta dosha is more dominant. And then in the afternoon, from the time of 2 p.m. to 6 p.m., vata dosha, air and space is more dominant. Oh. And then from um, 6 p.m. to 10 p.m., we're back to kapha dosha. And then from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m., we're back to pitta dosha. And from 2 a.m. to 6 a.m., we're back to vata dosha. Wow. So just to, to give you this, I'll, then I'll talk about the annual, but to give you a snapshot of that, Ayurveda generally recommends be up by six. Why? Because you want to wake up in the hours of vata time when there's lightness in the air, when it's not as hard to get up. When we sleep, you ever notice if you sleep a little past six or you go into seven or 8 a.m., it's harder to get up and get going. Mm -hmm. You're waking up in a heavier time energetically of the day. You're waking up in kapha, earth and water time. So it's recommended that you're up by six or earlier, depending on your dosha, in the vata time. Okay. And then you eat your largest meal, not at dinner time that we like to do in the Western world, but at lunchtime, because that's pitta time of day 
when our digestive fire is the strongest. And then we wind down in the evening by six o'clock out of Vata time. We have that descent and we want to get to bed by 10 p.m. Because from six to 10, we're in that Kapha time. So we'll go into deeper sleep if we can go to bed by 10 o'clock. And if you ever notice you stay up a little too late and you get that second wind, Mm -hmm. that's because you've gone into the pitta time of night and you get kind of fired up again. So just in the course of one day, you want to sync with the elements. That's, that's fascinating because that's actually very much in sync with the science around sleep. Yep. The science around sleep and the science around just the, the circadian rhythms and the ultradian rhythms that we we have some science behind and this was all figured out without you know the ability to figure out that science but but in an ancient practice it's so amazing how these things keep connecting and it's, it's amazing not, it's not new stuff it's stuff that we've known for a long time we're just using different language with it and and the science just keeps coming lately like they're really doing so much research on you know, now it totally makes sense. We understand that your body begins to produce melatonin in the evening and it's synced with light. And when the light goes down, you know, your eyes take that in and your body starts producing the appropriate hormones and hence the wind down and get ready for bed. And same thing, getting up early, like before the sunrise, and then your eyes see the light and, you know, you start producing the appropriate hormones, cortisol to get going for the day. So Yes, modern science just keeps proving what Ayurveda has said for thousands of years. I love that. Um, Now, talking about, like, as you said, people like to just think that that Ayurveda is about food. And, you know, there are different types of foods that are better for a certain person who has a different dosha, but it's also different throughout the different times of year, right? Yes, yes. So in the same way that the doshas govern the time of day, they govern the time of year. So in fall time, what happens? It gets cooler, drier, the winds pick up. That's vata time of year. Fall into the first portion of winter is vata time. So those those air and space qualities are dominant in the nature around us. Then winter progresses we've had a long time of cold depending on where you live rain or snow there's an accumulation of water and heaviness in the atmosphere so the last portion of winter into spring is kapha time earth and water it's Mm -hmm. saturated there's a heaviness all of nature is going to have to kind of gear up the energy to break through at springtime right kapha dosha And then once all the snow is melted and, you know, the green leaves have come out, the blossoms and we've transitioned and it begins to heat up, then summer is pitta time. So understanding that in the course of one year, we go through the three doshas. So how do we stay balanced? Well, in summer, it's generally not the time to be putting chili peppers and extra spices on your food. We've already got a lot of heat going. We don't need that. It's yeah. the time for, you know, activities that are more calming and cooling, not the time to gear up for a lot of intensity. 
right? And you, you could apply that to each of the seasons. Mm-hmm. In the Vata time when it's air and space and things are beginning to get cold, what do we want? We want warmth. We want to slow down. We want to ground. That's why we want our crock pot out for stews and soups and all those nourishing, the fats that we need. Mm-hmm. You know, our ancestors were doing that. They, they would have to nourish their bodies to get through the cold, harsh winter. Yeah. You know, now yeah. we go to the grocery store and get whatever we want, but right. But a hundred years ago, that's not how we lived. Right. You know, it just occurred to me to think about um, the change of the season and especially now that unnaturally we actually change the clocks back, which really messes up a lot of people. And there's actually some science around understanding. Um, they did a study where they saw that people tend to, when they lose an hour of sleep, they tend to have more cardiac arrest than in the time frame of spring when they gain an hour, they there's less admissions to the hospital for any kind of um, cardiac issues. But when you think about the seasonal affective disorder and people you know, needing that sunlight and feeling like there's so much darkness, how does that connect with um, the Ayurveda idea or philosophy of what you should be doing at that time? Because we're talking to people about using a happy light, right? You know, wake up in the morning and get some exposure to some sunlight so that you are starting that circadian rhythm in the morning. What would Ayurveda say about that? Well, Ayurveda would ab- advocate for time in nature, like to really get outside and, and, and soak up the energy of nature. And that is actually one of the ways that you build ojas, that vital essence I was talking about that I right. so depleted in that time in nature is incredibly healing and um, literally helps like build up our reserves and our immunity. So, you know, again, we spend so much time indoors and on devices. So carving out time each day to be outside. And I get it if, if you live in a really cold, you know, snow environment, that's challenging, but getting out for some fresh air in the morning to take a walk, mm-hmm. um, you know, Ayurveda wants us to move our bodies between the 6 and 10 a.m. in that kapha time of morning and optimally in some fresh air. Yeah, absolutely. Well, when you say, I get it if you're in the cold weather, um, it always brings to mind this um, this saying that Yvonne Schwinard, who is actually the owner and um developer of Patagonia. Of course, he sells like clothing for outdoor, but he always says there's no such thing as inclement weather, just inappropriate clothing, which I think is I agree. True, right? I mean, it's, it's hard for me to want to motivate to get out when it's really cold. Mm-hmm. But if you do gear up, I mean, that's one of the things for Vata Dosha, you got to be warm, get your layers on. Once yeah. you get out and start moving, it feels so good. It feels so good. And I tell people just go out for five minutes because five yeah. minutes turns into 10 minutes because you get out there. It's just, it's just getting out the door. That's the hard part. Well, yeah. getting out of bed, I should say too, but you know, Absolutely. we have a lot of people who struggle with that. And I do think that it's about, you know, just like telling yourself, once I get out there, all I have to do is five minutes and everybody yes. has five minutes. And another thing that Ayurveda advocates for in support of digestion is to take a a 10 minute walk, 15 minute walk after a meal. And now the science is that it levels out your, your blood glucose. 
Oh, so it helps you digest. So, you know, maybe you're not doing an hour of intense exercise. That's okay. But just after lunch, even if you've been at your computer all day, go walk around the block for 10 minutes. It's a break for your brain. It changes your energy. It helps your metabolism. Mm, It's amazing. Well, I actually know, and there's, again, there's science behind this as well, that that sometimes that intense exercise is is not the thing that most people need. And it's the thing that we think we need. But when you take small little amounts of movement and exercise and, and getting out in the middle of your day or five or 10 minutes here or there, it can actually be so much better for your metabolism than that intense exercise that raises those cortisol levels. Yes, and is for some people then depleting. It's actually right. not not supportive but i think again the cultural thing is like i don't know you got to do go do a killer spin class or something for it to count but it can actually be detrimental yeah absolutely i'm usually talking people off intense exercise i say that all the time but so i love this idea of just kind of going with the seasons going with what your dosha is paying attention that increasing that awareness what are some typical, since we always talk about food, people always want to know about yeah. food. What, you know, if let's say you discover that you're a, a pitta, right? And and that's like your, your primary dosha. Maybe you have a little mm-hmm. bit of, of kapha in there, um, okay. but you're primarily a pitta, um, pitta, I should probably say, right? So thinking about like this time of year and kind of moving through the seasons, what are some, some foods that are supportive of that kind of a a dosha? Why don't I give you a couple for pitta and then give you some guidelines that apply for all three? Absolutely. Good. Because, you know, some of people listening may not be pitta and it it doesn't apply as directly, but specifically for, for pittas, again, fiery, right? Pittas are intense. Pittas pittas have strong, good digestion because of their fire. In um, Ayurveda, your metabolism is called Agni, and it literally translates as fire. So pittas have great metabolism. They can kind of get away in general with eating everything because they process it so well. They have great elimination. (laughs) They don't struggle with constipation, Um, but they're fiery. So they love like attracts like they they're those those guys that want to put the hot sauce on everything like attracts like but they don't need that so for the pittas you want to think move away from heat i don't mean warm food but i mean spicy food right so avoid like chili peppers and jalapenos and anything that really gets you going in terms of heat in your food avoid that um favor things that are cooling and more bitter and astringent. So greens, um, cucumbers, mint, that kind of thing, you know, reduces the heat for pittas because they have good, strong metabolism and they're more like athletic and a medium build. They need the protein and they need the, um, healthy carbohydrates like, um, whole grains, things like that. Um, and they need generally need the consistency of three meals a day, right? Because they do have such a good metabolism. They get hangry. They're the ones that get angry when they're really hungry. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are some sort of general things for Pitta. Reduce the heat. 
get your solid calories in that's a blend of vegetables, complex car- carbohydrates, healthy carbohydrates, good fats, and protein. Um, and favorite food. It's balancing. Thinking about like what is the opposite of what my my dosha is, what might balance that out? Yes, and the and the pittas can of the three doshas, they're the ones that can do the raw more than the other two. Mm. So especially in summertime, pittas love salads. So really good and balancing for them. Um, not so much for the other two. A little harder to to digest and too cold. Um, so, you know, of the three doshas, they can go towards more of that, that stuff. If there's an inclination for that, maybe a little less in the fall, but greens, uh, kale, that kind of thing, spinach, that kind of stuff is really good for pitta dosha. Generally speaking, rules that sort of apply to all three from an Ayurvedic perspective, try to eat around the same time each day. Um, try to eat local and fresh. So I know not everybody can, but to the degree that you can hit your local farmer's market. Now, again, coming back to the research, we know that when we're able to eat food that's grown close to us, there are um, microbiome connections to the soil, microbes in the soil that we are then being fed into our gut that's coming from the flora and the agriculture around us. And that changes with the season. So what's going to be in our soil in summer is different than what's going to be in our soil in winter. So the more you can eat locally and seasonally, the more you're literally feeding yourself with what's coming from your own environment. Um, Stay hydrated, but Ayurveda is a big no-no on the cold water. And the pittas are the ones that want that ice cold water. It's like putting out the digestive fire. So room temperature water, or if possible, barring super duper hot summer, sip on warm water. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's another um, big rule in Ayurveda. Stay hydrated with warm or room temperature water, not cold. And do they talk about drinking when eating or drinking after eating? Yeah, not too much. A little bit is okay mm-hmm. when you're eating, but not too much and not like a huge amount of water right before you eat. Space right. it a little bit away. Okay. And yeah. when you have a meal, think that you're eating about two thirds full. Mm. So almost a little hungry. And the funny thing is, if you stop yourself at that point, usually about 15, 20 minutes later, you realize you really were completely full. So if you go to that point of like, okay, I'm really full, then you've probably overdone it. So think about filling your stomach about two thirds full. Right. And I think too, that's, that's about the mindfulness with eating. It's, it's slowing down, paying attention, appreciating the food, having that, that time to really eat it and, and, you know, pay attention to what you're eating. And Mm -hmm. if you do that, you're right. You're going to pay attention to how much you have put into your stomach and that you know, okay, this is about time to stop. Yeah, awareness. All of it's about awareness, both yoga and Ayurveda at the heart, it's about awareness. Oh yeah, yeah. And health overall is about awareness. And we're we're in a society that's so distracted, right? How many people are 
eating while they're watching television or looking at their phone or on their computer or just generally not paying attention to what they're doing or eating really fast because it's not important enough or I'm just eating as utilitarian. I've just got to get it done because I need to and then I'm off to my next thing. And um, that's a big part of the digestive issues that people might have, GI issues irritable bowel syndrome, at SIBO, which is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, all of those things come from this. And this is, again, it's, it's so fascinating that this is just, you know, it's, it's something we've known for a long time. Well, I'll tell you the thing that blows me away is that um, according to Ayurveda, I, I say like 90%, the majority of illness in the body begins with an imbalance in the gut. That's where it starts and how far it gets just depends on how long it's been going and what the imbalance is. Mm -hmm. And we now know, you know, from all of our research, how important the gut is, that that's really the house of our immunity, that that's the second brain. Now I think they're calling it the first brain because of the connection between the gut and our mood and our thoughts. Mm -hmm. And Ayurveda knew that, you know, you have to address the gut before you get into some serious trouble if, if something goes unchecked for a long time. Absolutely. I, I, it is amazing when, when I talk to people about the different areas that it really, that, so it's, it's like when you talk about religion, so many religions have the same ideas and the same stories told in a different way. It's all of these practices around health are they they all have kind of the same story and this, they're just getting at it in a different way yes. but ayurveda has always talked about root cause and that's yes. that's what you know so it's 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 just fascinating to see those connections right yeah so fascinating we, talk, we talked about um food we talked about maybe um movement a little bit with yoga and so tell me how you incorporate this in your own work that you do with your clients yeah, so I lead regular yoga classes online, but the thing that I do that I'm most passionate about, passionate about is my mentorship program where I can really get into all of this at a deeper level. So I do it seasonally three times a year where each session is according to the season that we're in. And we go deep in terms of Ayurveda setting up our lifestyle in this way I was describing, um, rhythm of the day, rhythm of seasons, rhythm of life. Um, we address diet, but we also go into yoga asana, meditation, and pranayama. I call it the four pillars of yoga because I had gone so many years deep, deep, deep into the physical but I was really missing, and, and some of the breath, but I was missing the support of Ayurveda dietarily and, and rhythmically. And I was missing a really deep meditation practice and addressing the mind, addressing our mm -hmm. mental habits and forms of negative thinking and limited thinking. So in this mentorship group, I take people on this journey of realigning towards themselves, a really gradual, gentle process of making changes. I have them, you know, fill out a quiz to determine their dosha and their current imbalances. And then we just slowly going through 
our physical bodies and then um, breathing and energetics and then meditation and yoga philosophy and then diet, we make adjustments to kind of get to that place of really feeling our true selves. Wow. And how long is the membership program? It's three and a half months. Each session is three and a half months long and we meet weekly. Um, there's recorded video content on things like diet and on the six tastes and on breaking down the doshas and all of that on the yoga sutras is the philosophy book that I use as, as our guide for yoga philosophy. So there's pre-recorded videos and then we get together and have these live group meetings where I answer questions and we check in and, and just go deep on the topic. And then there's practices. We also meet once a week for the physical um, guided body practices, but also meditation and breath practices. So that's in person. It's all online. It's all online. Oh, you meet for the practices also online. Online. Yes. Great. That's awesome. I mean, was there a point at which before, um, you know, our current situation with COVID that you were doing that all live? I just launched it all online. It was always meant to be an online thing that I could do from anywhere in the world and anyone in the world, you know, could join. And then COVID hit and it was the perfect, (laughs) it broke the barriers for people that, you know, were hesitant to get online. Let's put it that way. Oh my gosh. Have you found it flourishing through COVID because people are more concerned about their health and their well-being? Yes. Yes. And I would say the number one thing people come for is stress Mm -hmm. and feeling disconnected, like feeling out of balance. Yeah. Yeah, I would imagine. You know, they're wanting more. It's like it's like wanting more depth. And and if COVID didn't teach us anything, it, it was like, what's important, right? What is really important? Mm-hmm. What do we really need? It's about our connections, the people we love, taking care of ourselves, having our health be its best. God forbid if we do get COVID, you know, we want to be in the best health we can be to deal with it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think people are interested. I also think you hit a certain age and you're just kind of over the BS and you just want to do things that are meaningful and truly supportive. Truly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and really making sure that, that what you've, what you surround yourself with and the environment that you're in and the people that you're with and all of those aspects of, of the, the pillars, as you call them are so important and people aren't really always paying attention to that in their lives. So yeah. it's this awareness that, that yeah. you're bringing to it. I love it. So what, you know, are there books, like you said, the, the, um, the yoga sutras you're using, but what are, are, is there anything that you would recommend? Like if somebody really wanted to kind of just get into, maybe they don't know anything about the Ayurvedic principles, um, just what they're learning here in this podcast, but are there some books that you would recommend that people like look into and, you know, would be helpful for them? That's a great question. There is that classic book by Deepak Chopra, Perfect Health, mm. that gives you an idea of what Ayurveda is all about. There are some really hefty like textbooks. I can just have this one out today, which is um, the textbook of Ayurveda by Vasant Lad. He's a, a very well-known um, educator, Ayurvedic doctor, pioneer in the field. Um, but this is like textbook. This is not where you want to start. This right. is like a resource to have to look things up. Um, 
And there's a lot of interesting people um, to follow. My Ayurvedic doctor, Dr. Shiva Mohan, um, you can look her up. Um, there's just more and more Ayurvedic doctors online. I'm trying to think of some of my favorite um, people doing great things. Um, I know in functional medicine, we have the Institute for Functional Medicine, and we can go on the website and and people have their profiles listed there. Is there anything like that for Ayurveda or is it just kind of Googling Ayurvedic doctors in the area and you'd find them? I think that, I think it's more of a Google thing. I don't know of one place where you could find a lot of people. Um, the the um, Himalayan Institute in Pennsylvania has lots of Ayurvedic programs and doctors there. Catherine Templeton is a doctor there. Um, Near to me in Grass Valley is the California um, College of Ayurveda. Um, gosh, Mark, I'm forgetting his last name. I think it's Halpern is the head doctor there. Um, it's a little bit of a Google fest to find okay. someone near to you if you want to go see someone in person. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. And, and part of it too, like for me, when I sought out my doctor, there were even less than... 10 plus years ago. Um, it's wanting, wanting to feel a good connection with this person. I'm sure it's the same in functional medicine. You want to, you want to really con connect and feel um, like they're the right fit for you. So doing a little research is a good thing before picking someone. Yeah. Okay. Tell people to interview the person that they're going to work with, no matter who they are. And if they shy away from wanting to talk to you about what they'll do before they see you, then that might be a sign that <laughs> maybe they're yes. not the best person for you. Yeah. Because they should be willing to at least give you some time on the phone to talk to them. 100%. Yeah. Because it's a very intimate, personal, and important journey if you're going to really be working with someone to go deep in your health. Because it's not just physical. It's emotional and energetic and potentially spiritual. And, you know, yeah. you want someone you really connect with. Yeah, definitely. So your, your physician, you still see her occasionally or do you see her yearly or, or how do you I haven't seen her in a really long time, but I, I, I was very consistent with her for a year and then she sort of kindly gave me the boot. You can check in when you need to very kindly, but said, you know, yeah. you're good. And I said, yeah, I'm good. Um, so for a while after that, I would check in every so often, but it's been a while. I haven't, I haven't lately. I'm, I'm just using my principles and continuing to self-educate all the time. And you're balanced. Well, I'm so glad that you are, are better and you don't have to go back. She's given you the boot, but in a good way, right? In a good way. In a good way. I know how to read my signs. You know, I know what I need to do to pull myself back when I need to rein myself in. Well, that's kind of what we, we try to do too in functional medicine is, is give people a toolbox to empower themselves to, to understand these things on their own once they learn what's going on with their own body and so that you don't have to keep going back, which is a very different process from traditional medicine and allopathic medicine where you wait until something happens and then you go see someone for a solution, which usually turns out to be medication or surgery yes. or something. But this allows you to, to really know, okay, here, this is, this is what my dosha is. This is where I can find balance. And I have been out of balance, which is going to happen, right? I it mean, will. There's, 
things that that you can't you can't move away from. Life happens and things happen. Yeah. Some things you don't have control over, but yeah. the things that you do have control over are, you know, things that you can use those tools that you learn through Ayurveda to help yourself get back into some balance. Yes, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Self-empowered. It's a self-empowered practice. Oh, I love that because then, you know, you don't have to be reliant on someone else. You you understand and know yourself. Um, I think sometimes it's hard for people to really pay attention to themselves. Yeah, it is. I mean, even just in, in the, the world of, of Western medicine, you know, we, we tend to like the doctor knows and, and give give the power away to the doctor. But sometimes they do, but a lot of times they don't. And like you said, they just want to give you a, a medication and you have to own it and really advocate for your own health in all situations, be it with a path like Ayurveda or functional medicine, or when you do have to go the, the, the path of Western medicine, you have to advocate for yourself. You really have to take charge of, of your health that way. They won't do it for you. And they can't. Right. And I think there are times when you, you have to go into certain things in Western medicine, but it doesn't mean that you can't do both at the same time and then slowly pull away from the Western to what you know is is best for your body. I mean, that's what functional medicine is, why I work with so many MDs, then DOs, that, that they marry those two things, but then you start to pull away from whatever medications you might be on, slowly lowering them and moving more towards this this natural yes. path. And so it's necessary at some point, but, but you definitely have the power to move away from that. Yes. I love that. I mean, it has its place. We want it. We need Western medicine. We do, but yes, if, if there's a situation that's acute and you really do need it, but then, like you said, to marry it and slowly build yourself up and away from dependency on, you know, medication or things that things that have side effects and right functional medicine and Ayurveda, they don't really have side effects. Yeah, absolutely. Now the side effects are actually the good things. Exactly. <laughs> so if people wanted to um, get a hold of you, find you, um, and maybe participate in that online membership, um, how do they do that? How do they find you? They can just go to my website, NikkiAstradaYoga.com. You'll see information there about my just my regular yoga membership about the seasonal mentorship, um, upcoming events. Like I do yoga retreats now, um, now that I'm able to post COVID. Um, yeah, yeah any, anything, anything current is going to be on there. And I'm also on Instagram and Facebook. Oh, good. Under Nikki Estrada, right? Um, Yogini Nikki is um, what I'm on Instagram as. And Facebook is just Nikki Estrada and Nikki Estrada Yoga. Okay. And Nikki with two Ks. And an N-I-K-K-I. Ah, okay. All right. Excellent. So all of those things I'm going to put in the show notes and um, as well as the references to the books and other things that you mentioned, um, certainly some of the places where you might be able to, to find a few Ayurvedic doctors. Um, but this has been a really informative, helpful talk. I, you know, I'm interested in it. So I'm hoping that other people who are listening are interested as well. And maybe they'll reach out to you and um, start a practice with you. I mean, it's just, it's fascinating stuff. And it's, it's really amazing how you can figure these things out and help people support that, that health 
ongoing, not just day to day, but throughout the year and throughout a lifetime. That yes, I yes, 100%. And thank you for having me, Karen. As you can probably tell, I love to talk about yoga and Ayurveda. And yeah, if anybody is interested in reaching out, don't hesitate to send me a message or find me on my website. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate your time and all of that stuff will be in the show notes for people or on my website to find. So um, excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, as usual, I really enjoyed that conversation. I'm so lucky to be able to do this and to connect with so many interesting people around the country. As I'm sure that was obvious to all. So understanding our doshas is just another level of healing that we can employ in our lives. As the seasons start to change here, we can think about what we would like to do differently and how that relates to our bodies. So often we don't pay attention to what our bodies need and might be telling us. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation and please share if it hits home with you or someone you know. Check the show notes for the dosha quiz, books, and links at the for the Ayurveda Institutes mentioned in the podcast. And as always, thanks for being here. See you next time on the Full Capacity Living Podcast. <music>